Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I'm telling you, I'm just so excited. I just had this anticipation today coming into this Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, and really looking into some things today that I believe will transform you. Because Romans 12, 2 says that we're transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. And I believe that when we come together on a Sunday morning, it's just a little more mind renewal. It's looking at things a little differently than maybe we thought when we first came in the door. Because I think a lot of us have maybe got this distorted view of who God is through religion, upbringing, different things we've heard. And, you know, no, no harm, no foul. We all operate in the ideas we have, the revelation we have of who God is. But isn't it beautiful when through his word and through the word of God, Jesus Christ, we start to see God differently. And we see him as actually a lover of humanity. We see him as a father who loves us and cares about us. And it just changes everything. It changes our view on on life. It changes our view on how we walk and talk and how we treat others. Amen. And so I believe when we actually live this resurrected life, we're going to see a change in our own life, our own talk, and our own walk. We're going to talk about that today. Before we get started, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. And we can look into your word this morning. I pray that as we look at scripture and we we talk about your goodness, we talk about this idea of resurrection, that that we would have repentance transpire. Repentance simply means to change our minds, that we would see things differently than we saw when we first walked in the door. We would see things in a better way according to your way. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Will you turn with me to John chapter 20? John chapter 20. If you want to follow along, you can do so on the screens here behind me. Also, we put our notes in the YouVersion app. You may have the YouVersion app on your smartphone or smart device. Go ahead and open up the YouVersion app. Go to the Events tab, which is under the More tab. When you select Events, you should see right at the top, Face City Church, Michigan Campus. You can actually add your own notes and you can save it for further reference. So I encourage you to do that. But I want to look in John chapter 20 at this idea of resurrection. We're going to start in verse 1. The Apostle John writes, Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now this is interesting. Do you know who wrote the Gospel of John? John. And he always refers to himself as the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, I used to think that was arrogant, but truth be told, he understood love relationship with God. She ran to Simon Peter, the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Verse 3, Peter and the other disciple, who's that? John, left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Isn't it interesting that the Apostle John writing about himself said, yeah, by the way, I was faster than Pete. Thank God. He probably had some trophies from uh, Jerusalem High. We don't know. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up in its own place. Verse 8. Then the other disciple, who's that? The one who arrived at the tomb first, just so you don't forget, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, what did he believe? 
No. He believed that Jesus wasn't there. He believed what Mary said. Someone took him. Uh, Sorry, trick question, Bruce. It says, they didn't yet understand that scripture, that Jesus must rise from the dead. Verse 10, then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Now think about this for a minute. We're celebrating resurrection over 2,000 years later. And so for us, we know the end of the story. So we're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Isn't that wonderful? But the disciples ran to the tomb because Mary said, somebody has rolled the stone back and taken our Lord. No, no, roll with this for a minute. No pun intended. Roll the stone. Roll with this. So they run to the tomb. Jesus isn't there. He believed that Jesus really wasn't there. And then it said they went back to where they were staying. There was no celebration. I mean, guys, you got to celebrate. It says that they didn't even realize that scripture was fulfilled, that Jesus had risen from the dead. But let me say something. Resurrection is so important. This idea on this side of the cross, burial, and resurrection, we can realize something, that resurrection really matters. Now, I want us to get a picture for just a moment of what was going on. Sometimes we read the Bible in 21st century Western culture idea, and we have to take our thoughts back to a Jewish mindset in the first century. So here's the disciples, including Mary, which, by the way, Mary Magdalene, she loved Jesus. She was close to Jesus. You know, she was the one hanging around the tomb. Do you know that Mary Magdalene actually had seven demons until Jesus came along, cast those demons out. He restored her. He healed her mind. He put her in a better state, and she loved Jesus so much. In fact, many scholars believe that she had lots of money, and she financed the gospel. She financed the ministry of Jesus. In fact, there was another lady. I want to talk about this later. I want to do a series called, what? That's in the Bible? But do you know that the majority of Jesus' ministry was financed by women? I know. And people say women don't have a place in church. Hello. Anyway. So Mary, let's not get into that doctrine, right? So, so here are these disciples. Here's Mary. They, they see Jesus is no longer in the tomb. They have no concept. I mean, he's told them, I will die and I will rise again. And they still, it's not clicking with them. So in their mindset, they're looking at a tomb. They're looking at a cross. They're looking at a death of a Savior who they thought would be the Messiah who would rescue them. But now he's dead. They scatter. They're afraid. They're scared. They don't know what to do next. So they don't have the Bible, the New Testament to read. They have the prophecy in the scripture. In fact, the prophecy in scripture told them that the Messiah would come and rescue them. In fact, we talked on Palm Sunday just last week that they they had this triumphant entrance into Jerusalem when Jesus came in on the donkey. Remember this? And the donkey represented peace. He came in peace. But we found out that the people were very disappointed Because what they wanted was they wanted a king to come in on a horse with a sword, overthrow Rome, and set up a kingdom so they could be free again. This is a people who had been enslaved and oppressed for thousands and thousands of years. They just wanted freedom. But Jesus didn't fulfill what they thought he should fulfill. So why did Jesus go to the cross? Let me tell you why. First of all, they weren't satisfied with this Messiah of peace. They didn't quite get it. When you you come into society in the first century that's ruled by empire, more specifically the Roman Empire, and you walk around and you say things like, I'm a king from a different kingdom. I am the son of God. 
Romans don't like that very much. They're like, a, a king? Uh, is this insurrection? What's going on? I mean, this is why they would crucify people, criminals, insurrectionists. So he would say things like, I am the son of God. Do you know that one of the names or labels for Caesar was son of God? So you have two sons of God. Which one will you choose? The son of God of violence or the son of God of peace? The son of God who crucifies all those who oppose him or the son of God who offers himself in sacrificial love? Big difference. And the people wanted a warrior king to overthrow Rome. Didn't work. Not only that, there were two establishments. Not just empire, but we also had the religious temple system. And what happened is the temple system decided that there were certain people who were sinners. They were outcasts. They didn't belong. The sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. You guys aren't allowed to worship with us. You're banned from the temple. And guess who Jesus had meals with? Those people. And what you do in Jewish culture, when you sit down and you have a meal with somebody, you're saying, they are included. They matter. See, the temple establishment was saying, we exclude some and we include others. And Jesus says, no, all inclusive, baby. This is how it works. Jesus came to show us the heart of the Father. He said, the Father's heart is that everyone is included in relationship with God. No one should be shut out. It doesn't matter on the race, the color of skin. It doesn't matter on social status, how much money you have. It doesn't matter. But the temple establishment, guess what? Jesus was messing with their money. And it got him crucified. In fact, the Bible says that we crucified him. But God was in Christ. Listen to this. God was in Christ. He never left. He was always there. He was in Christ reconciling the world, bringing the world into favor with him. Why? Because he loves us. So here's Jesus on a cross. We, we doled out everything we could at him. Every sin, murder, anger, retribution. He took it all. He vanquished it. He exhausted it. And on the cross, he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus came to change our minds. So in this early first century idea, they left the tomb and went back because they thought everything's done. When Jesus says it is finished, he must have meant it's really finished, like he's dead and there's nothing left. But that's why resurrection is important. Resurrection, first of all, was a big N-O, no, to the way the world was operating. But it was a big fat yes to you and to me and to humanity, saying, I love you, I embrace you, I'll never leave you, I want relationship with you. So resurrection is for everybody. I, I want us to see this because... If, if we take it as this one religious holiday for this one particular group, we're missing out on what the resurrection really means. Resurrection is for the entire world. And we're going to look at that today, how Jesus set things straight, how he cleared things up. But for some of us, it might take some time to get to that. As I was preparing this message today, I was thinking about uh, a few years back when, when Kristen and I were talking and she says, you know what, honey, I'd like to, I'd like to grow our own food. I'd like to, to grow some stuff and have a garden. Well, uh, we, don't have, we don't live on a farm. We don't have acres of land. We don't have one acre of land, to be honest with you. And uh, some of my neighbors are here today. They'll attest to that. So, so she said, hey, I was looking around. We can do these raised gardens. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great, until I had to put the raised gardens together. Uh, that's a lot of work, folks. Like, you got to measure. you got to figure out how you're going to do it. you got to dig up the grass because you can't have grass in the garden, right? So you dig the grass up, and then you build these frames, and then you, you go and you get 
uh, soil, topsoil to put in there, and you got to till the ground. It's like, thanks, Adam. I appreciate all this hard work i got to do in the ground now. Christian jokes, I know. So I had to till the ground, and we had to plant. In fact, we had to get so much topsoil. Uh, there was a sale at Meyer, and they were out of it at the Meyer and Flint, so I went all the way to Heartland in my, was it a 98 Regal at the time? I didn't have my truck. I had sold my truck. Went with a 98 Regal, and when you put like bag after bag in the trunk in the back seat, my car was like this. Like, I mean, it was, it was scraping the ground almost. I thought, yeah, check me out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I got topsoil. So, so I get home, and I put the topsoil, and we're doing all this. But as we start planting these seeds, have you ever planted a seed, anybody? Isn't it, isn't it awesome that, that this little seed can produce these big plants? But when you see that seed, it's just this, this, this little tiny seed. And, and as long as it stays dry and cool, I mean, that thing will, it will just lie dormant for years. But once you plant it, something happens. And I was thinking about this verse that says that, you know, a seed must die in order to produce. And I kind of struggled with that idea because I thought, what do you mean a seed has to die? I mean, if a seed literally died, how would it produce? And so I started looking at this idea of a seed. Now, again, a seed can lie dormant, but once, once you plant this seed, it undergoes some sort of process. It varies from plant to plant, but remains essentially the same. And then a sprout appears and grows into this full-fledged plant. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you dig up that plant and look down at the very bottom where all the root system is and see the seed anymore? No. The seed's gone. I went, wait a second, what, what is this saying? I mean, it ceases to be a seed in order that the plant would live. It can no longer find its identity in that of its old self, a seed. So here's a seed. It's got all the potential within it that it needs to grow into that healthy plant and grow fruit and produce fruit, right? But it needs something. First of all, it needs to be buried. It needs to be underground, and then it needs what? It needs moisture, and I thought about this, as it moistens, as it starts to go from this hard substance and soften up, it starts to crack, and all the potential inside of it starts to flow forth. And I thought, wow, this is amazing, because it shows us that there's, there's death before resurrection. In other words, resurrection requires death. You follow me so far? So even in our own lives, just like this seed, we have all that potential all those good works, that blueprint for our life, that purpose and that plan that God has for us, but we have to die to something. We have to die to the identity that we had about ourselves. And Jesus came to show us who we really were. You follow me so far? Do you realize that we were born in the image of God? That we bear his image and his likeness? That he's already put all that goodness inside of us, but for most of us, we can't see it because our identity is wrapped up in seed form. And all we see is the outward. We can't see the inward. And Jesus came to unveil our hearts so we could see the truth about ourselves. So a seed needs to be buried. It needs moisture or water. And I started thinking about what did Jesus say of himself? He said, I am a living water. The word of God Jesus Christ is also called water, the water of the word. 
So literally what God wants to do, what Jesus wants to do through the Holy Spirit is he wants to permeate us with his love and his goodness. Show us who he really is. And what happens is we start to soften and moisten and the true potential that's always been there. The blueprint has never changed. Let me tell you, folks, the blueprint on our lives has never changed. And we're going to look at this today. Adam thought it did. But God never changed his plan about humanity. He never gave up on the potential he had already put inside of us. And I want to look at this today. So resurrection requires death. What is that? New thinking and seeing is necessary for new life. Now we need to be careful because when we tell the story, sometimes the gospel story, it becomes a story of you. It's all about you. You're a wretched sinner with a dirty heart. And what happens is we miss the big story, the the greater story. Sure, we might have some wretched actions and thoughts and deeds. We need someone to come in and heal our heart. I get that. But what is the big story? That God has always loved us. Always. That we were never enemies of God. Some people think literally that until you pray a prayer, you're an enemy of God. But Paul said that we were enemies of God Where? In our minds. We thought that God was our enemy, which in turn made us his enemy, and he never was an enemy to us. He was always a God who loved us and cared for us and wanted a deep, intimate relationship with us. We also can forget that we are united with something bigger than the universe. This is our life, and many times we forget it, and we we narrow it down to this box about this big, and we say, that's God in a box. But God is so much bigger. His love is so vast, so big, so undiluted, but will we believe it? Jesus came to change our minds about who we are and whose we are. And let me add this. Resurrection wasn't about escape from this world. It was affirming all life. It was saying, I, I, I created this, this planet for you. I put you in this planet This is your home. Some people want to sing songs about heaven being their home, folks. Earth is your home. That's where God puts you. And so if we can get out of this mentality that we all just need to get the heck out of here, maybe we could bring a little heaven to earth, live like Christ, and bring change to this planet for good, for peace and grace and love and unity. It's about relationship. What I want to do, though, is I want to continue here in Gospel of John chapter 20. And I just want to take a few moments to look at this conversation that Jesus has with Mary. Starting with verse 11. Remember, the disciples had left, right? They went back to the place they were staying. Like, it's over, man. Not only did he die, they stole his body. I mean, Jesus said he would die and resurrect. And they're like, oh, I guess he died and he's gone. They stole him. Well, what was us? Let's go back and eat some flatbread and drink some wine. I don't know what else to do. The last thing Jesus told us was to drink wine and eat bread. So I guess that's what we'll do. But look at this. Mary loved Jesus so much that she still was at the tomb. Verse 11, Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. Wow. Mary was distraught. Mary missed Jesus. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. Now, I want us to picture this. Here's Mary. She misses Jesus so much. I mean, he radically changed her life. And as she stands there, crying, weeping. She looks into the tomb. Maybe one more look. Jesus, are you there? She missed Jesus. But when she looked in, verse 12, she saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
Look at her response. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw who? Jesus standing there. But look at this. But she didn't know it was Jesus. This tells me something about resurrection. Even though essentially you are the same person from the same life force, from the same source, that's God himself, resurrection causes something in you to change to where you look different. She didn't even recognize Jesus. Now look at this. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Now, when you first read this, we, we have to understand the heart of Jesus right here because it's not like your kids. You know, why are you crying? You've been whining all day. I'll give you something to cry about. How many have been there, right? I'm glad that it doesn't say, why are you crying, woman? I'll give you something to cry about. Amen? I believe that Jesus was empathizing with her. He knew what was going on. He knew what she was feeling, but he says, woman, why are you crying? I believe he, he got into that space. Do you know that like God wants to get right down into the spaces and the dark places that we end up in life sometimes? He wants to be there with us to help us through that process. This is what he was doing with Mary. And then he says, who are you looking for? I love this next line. Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her one word. He says, Mary. She turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, don't know how to pronounce it, but it means teacher. He says, Mary. And she suddenly realizes this is teacher, rabbi, Jesus Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me for I haven't yet gone to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. Now, I don't want to get real political here, but do you see the first one who proclaimed the gospel and the resurrection? A woman. Come on, ladies. Come on, ladies. You got to love that. Yeah, Jesus was like totally cool with women spreading the gospel and talking about his resurrection. Amen? Enough about that. So I want to talk from three highlights of this and just, just for a few brief moments in this passage, three highlights from Jesus and Mary's conversation. Number one, he calls her out of tomb living. He calls Mary out of tomb living. It says that she stood crying and looking into the tomb. Now, I want us to picture this, okay? She's crying. She's weeping. Uh, life didn't work out the way she thought. She's looking into the tomb. Jesus says, why are you crying? Which was, I believe, him empathizing with her. And then he says, what are you looking for? Big question. See, I think he was identifying where she was. As she looked back to her hopes and dreams and the things that she thought were going to happen, the things that she believed made for life, they had been destroyed. They were gone. Jesus was gone. That was her hope. She thought that, that maybe he would defeat Rome and she could uh, live in freedom again and enjoy her trade and do what she did and enjoy life without this Roman occupation, but everything died. She had this beautiful relationship with a man who freed her 
from the bondage of seven demons and showed her sanity in life. But now Jesus was gone. She was looking back into the tomb as she was weeping. Can you, can you feel it? And I think Jesus wanted to say, where are you, Mary? Are you living out of the tomb? Are you still back there with those old thoughts and ideas of how it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to look? I mean, here she was. There's this, this sense of urgency that, Mary, you're standing in grace. In fact, grace and truth is standing right next to you in flesh form, God himself, Jesus Christ. You're standing at a place of accepting new life, but you're looking back to the tomb. I believe that so many are still living life from the tomb. We're literally the walking dead. See, Jesus is, is asking Mary, just like the rest of us, to, to stop with the old ways of thinking. He's asking her and us to come out of old thought patterns, the, the lies that we believed about God, about ourselves, and about others. He's saying, will you trust me? Will you trust this idea of me bringing, bringing death to all that was in order to embrace all that might be? I believe he's asking a lot of us that same question today. Can we bring death to all that was in order to embrace all that might be? Here's the big question. Will we trust his love for us? As I said before, I don't think he was chastising Mary. I think he was, he was being empathetic and, and, and understanding where she was and saying, Mary, it's so much better than you see. If you could walk away from the old way of thinking, that tomb living, it would change everything. You know, we talk about love all the time at Faith City, don't we? I mean, the apostle Paul tells us to be rooted and grounded, not in faith, not in grace, but in love. Love is the center of everything. Everything needs to come from love. The apostle challenges us to measure the height, the breadth, the length, and the depth of God's love for who? Us. Not for Jesus. Not for himself, but his love for us. And so we talk about this love that is life-giving, amen? amen? But let me say something. Love can be a destructive force. Now when I say that, you're like, well, oh yeah, I remember that relationship. I said I loved her. She said she loved me. And boy, did it destroy my world. But this isn't the same destruction I'm talking about. What I mean is it requires you to abandon self and ego and, dare I say, certainty in the things that we cling to and we think we know in order to trust and embrace this new way of thinking and living. And that is so hard. Sometimes it's so hard to release those things. When we cling to things, literally, that love is saying, let go of that thing. I want to show you truth in your life. I want to show you who you really are. I want to show you who I really am. I want to show you what it looks like to walk in resurrected life. And yet we cling to these things, and it hurts to let go. See, love sometimes is a destructive force. It's trying to destroy those lies that we believe about ourselves. And sometimes we cling so hard to them, we don't want to believe. We don't want to let go. So love destroys the lies and the false hopes that we cling to. And that is painful for many of us. I heard a pastor say this. It was so cool. He says, we're celebrating resurrection, not resuscitation. Now, resuscitation is great. If you like fainted and you're thought to be dead, but you're really not dead yet. 
And what do they do? They resuscitate you. They bring you back. The same person you were, they bring you back, and there you are. See, resurrection is completely different. It's complete death. It's death to old thought patterns, ideas, to thinking about God and ourselves and even others. It's changing those ideas. It's Romans 12 too. It's being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's allowing the water of the word. It's allowing the living water to permeate us with his love and his grace and his goodness. And it starts to take that shell, that hard shell. You know, sometimes we've, we've uh, secluded ourselves and we tried to build walls. He's trying to soften it up and say, look at all the potential you have on the inside. And there's people, whether they know Jesus or not, there's people in churches who still haven't allowed God to soften those areas and allow potential to come out. And they walk around and sometimes you're like, do they even know Jesus? But we've all been there, haven't we? We need to allow that to change our lives. So it's not about resuscitation. It's resurrection. It's a life of discovering and a life of transformation. And then what do we do? We share that discovery and transformation with others. So he wanted to call her out of tomb living. Number two, Jesus meets her in a garden. This is so cool. He meets her in a garden. How do we know this? Well, Mary looks at him. She's like, oh, oh, it's, it's the help. It's the gardener. Where have you put Jesus? She thinks that Jesus is the gardener. This cracks me up. Now, I want us to, again, let's go back to this Jewish mindset. Whenever, whenever in this time you would bring up this idea of this garden, you would think back to the creation story. Okay, I want us to see two gardens here. The first Adam, how many have heard of Adam and Eve? So the first Adam in the creation story, he's in a garden. He's told to tend the garden. He would be the original what? Gardener. Jesus is referred to in the scriptures as the last Adam. He arose in a garden. Think about this. So two Adams and two gardens. Now this is what's really cool about the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John shows us the seven signs of Christ. Okay, they're, they're miracles, but he calls them signs. And, and, and there's just to name a few, water turned to wine, feeding the 5,000, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. That's just three of the seven. But think about this. These are the signs, but then there's this eighth sign. And you got to understand, the Jews love numbers. They're big in the numbers and the meanings. So if a Jew heard this story, they'd say, okay, Adam in the garden, Jesus in a garden, the eighth sign. How many know how many days in creation? Seven, six days and a day of rest. So the eighth sign would be the eighth day, which would be the first day of the week. So Jesus in a garden, last Adam, first day of a brand new week of brand new creation. Isn't that awesome? I believe that, that John is trying to show us something here. I think he's hinting to this longing that all of humanity had to return to garden life, a place of innocence and really not knowing, a place of pure love. Here's Jesus. He's in a garden. He's saying, I literally am transforming everything. Resurrection literally means to make something right again. Jesus said, I've made all of creation right again. Man, this is beautiful to me. But do we see it? Do, do we see what resurrection really means? I mean, God's love makes us upright again. It changes our minds about our being. How many know we're not human doings? We're human beings. 
So it changes our mind about being. It's a process. How many would say, yep, I'm in the process, bro. I haven't reached. I have facets of my life that, that need salvation. What is salvation? It's deliverance, preservation, safety, healing, and wholeness. That's what it means in the Greek. And so I believe salvation is so much more about the here and now because in the afterlife, do I need those things or are they already there? So when he says to work out your salvation, in Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us what? He tells us that we're being saved. There's a process here. It's not a one-time thing. Just like resurrection, it wasn't a one-time thing. We now can die to those old habits, systems, thought patterns, but now it's a process as we resurrect even daily to see things different and to walk life out differently. And let me say this. God's okay that it takes time. He's okay with that. He's like, let's go through the process together. The coolest thing to me, this is God, because he talks like this to me. The coolest thing to me, Andy, is that we have relationship. You're willing to spend time with me. You're willing to allow me to be your father, your friend. You're allowing me to, to just permeate you with love and grace and goodness and show you who you really are. Let's just take time with this. It's a beautiful relationship, but we just open up to that. Amen? Number three. Jesus calls her by name. It's our last point today. Jesus calls her by name. So we saw that he's calling her out of tomb living. We see that he, he came to her in a garden trying to show her what resurrection means. It's a brand new way to live in this, in this world. And then number three, Jesus calls her by name. Now we've already seen that she doesn't recognize Jesus at first, right? She thought he was the gardener, which again says something about resurrection, right? But here's what happens. I believe that we attach ourselves to so many different identities that we forget who we are. But then Jesus calls us by name and a rebirth takes place through resurrection. Do you know what I love about this idea? Is that it isn't even me seeking and searching him out. Jesus said that I came to seek and to save the lost. He calls your name first. For some of us, we don't even recognize who he is until he calls us by name. Do you know that Jesus is calling you by name this morning? Every day he calls you by name. What happens when he calls us by name? He's giving us the true identity of who we are. The true identity as sons and daughters. He says, he goes on to say this, I'm going up to my father and what your father to my God and your God. Now this is huge. Again, Jewish mindset. They can believe that, okay, your God's my God. But whenever he brought up this idea of Abba, Daddy, Father, Jewish mind started to tilt on the edge of heresy, blasphemy. I mean, that's God. That's not my Father. But why would Jesus identify? Why would he say, I'm going to my Father and your Father? He wanted Mary to see that she's a daughter. He wants us to see that we're sons and daughters of God. Isn't that beautiful? And then in John 20, we just bumped down a couple of scriptures to 21. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And 22, I want you to think about this. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Go back to creation story. It said that God formed man from the dust of the ground. And then he breathed the breath of life into their nostrils and they became a living soul. So Jesus rose in a garden, the last Adam. He calls out Mary's name. 
And then just a couple verses later, he breathes on them, just like God did in the garden. And he says, you now are my sons and my daughters. I breathe life into you by the Holy Spirit. Think about this in the creation story. God comes into the garden in the cool of the evening like he did every night to walk and talk with Adam. And he couldn't find Adam because Adam had lost himself. Adam started to believe lies about God. God doesn't really, I can't trust God. God doesn't really love me. He's trying to hold out on me. I'm going to try to do things my own way. And then God comes down in the cool of the evening and he says, Adam, he says his name. Where are you? And what happens to Adam? Instantly shame comes over him. And I don't believe it's because God was ashamed of him. He believed lies about himself. He believed lies about God. God called his name Adam and shame came over him. But in the garden, when the last Adam says, Mary, hope fills her heart. No more shame, no more condemnation, a brand new way of seeing God and herself and others. That's why Jesus came. He came to demonstrate how God did things. He says, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see the Father do. Hebrews tells us that he was the exact representation and likeness of God. See, men had little bits and pieces of who God was, and they would say it, and they would really believe it to be true. But, but Jesus came down, God in flesh, through incarnation, and said, let me show you how I really am. And then he loved, he healed, he restored, he showed grace, he showed mercy, and he says, I want to sit at your table. I want to be with you. That's what resurrection is all about. And then it's us in turn saying, wow, I want to live that resurrected life. Jesus, let's do this together. He's like, I'm all in. I've been all in since the beginning of time. I was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. That foundation in Hebrew means fall. Even before the fall of man, he had it all taken care of. He never changed his mind about you. He never changed the blueprint that he had on your life. He loves you. He cares about you. And all he's saying is, will you trust my love? Will you pray with me? You might be here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I've never made that decision to say yes to Jesus. You know, it's, it's not some formula that we have to work on. It's simply saying, Jesus, I see you for who you really are. God, I see you and your love for me and that you simply desire a relationship with me. And it's just saying, yes, I believe. For those of you here today who maybe have never made the decision to believe and say yes to Jesus, it's real simple. It's just believing in your heart. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a beautiful message. Verse 17 says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. I love when we, we couple 16 and 17 together because it shows the heart of the Father. But if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I, I want to make the decision for Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I, I want the Holy Spirit to guide me and lead me and show me how to live resurrected life. Just simply raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. 
I believe when you raise your hand, it's just an outward expression of what's happening inwardly in your soul. I thank you, Father, for all those here today who've made that decision. Uh, maybe in the past or even this morning that we see ourselves differently. While the world may only see death and destruction, we see life and restoration because that's what you're all about, life and restoration. I pray that you bless your people today as we go through this day that we would see that resurrection isn't a one-time deal on one Sunday of the year, but it's a life that we live in and through you. And through you, we can change those things that even we don't like about ourselves. But thank you that you're not in a hurry, you're not going anywhere, and it's your love that slowly woos us and brings us to the place where you want us to be, which is our full potential. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.